So this is the second week in our For You series. And uh, I was talking with uh, some friends down here up front. Make sure that uh, you get both hands up because uh, if you go f- you know, For You, that's not really good, okay? It's, it's not there. But as a part of the For You series, I'm taking a few minutes every week to let you know some things that God has been doing through Eastside uh, that if you just join us online or on campus on Sundays, uh, you may not have be aware because sometimes we don't tell all the story and this is a time of year where we need to tell the story of how God uses our church for people, how he uses us as the people of God to let other people know. And last week I shared with you three or four things that we do here in the community and today I just want to share with you two that are that quite honestly are unique ministries to Eastside Church. I'm, I'm unaware of any other congregation that has these two ministries that are kind of together and, and they grow out of what God has done in our leadership over the years and kind of our setting. Uh, the, the first one is, is this, that uh, during the pandemic, in, in the last uh, 22 months, seven different missionary families from three continents have stayed in our guest houses. We, we have three guest houses uh, that we uh, own here adjacent to our property. Over the years, God seemed to lead us as the leadership team here at Eastside not to leave our neighborhood, but to be here and invest in it. And along the way, he's allowed us to purchase houses that are next to the church. And, and instead of just bulldozing them and making bigger and bigger parking lots and all of that, we've tried to, to steward those. And one of the ways we do that is to... Uh, provide three guest houses that are fully furnished. They're cared for, they're staged, they, they're designed. If you rent a condominium somewhere for a, or a, a Airbnb or something like that, you, it's kind of the same idea. And what we do is we make them available to missionaries who are home on furlough and to ministers who are in transition. And occasionally, occasionally we have some other opportunities. And this last semester here at AU, one of our student uh, athletes actually was uh, faced a, a kind of a, a traumatic time. They had a brain aneurysm. And some of you AU students are, are aware, I'm not going to use names because this thing goes out online, but, but uh, some of you know this, this gentleman was a teammate to some of the, you who are here today. And, and so when that happened, he was hospitalized and he couldn't go back into the door but God blessed and touched his body miraculously and and we're so grateful for God's healing but his family lives out of state and so we were able to offer them uh, the use of one of our guest houses while he recovered until the end of the semester and I got this note from his mom uh, this week and and I just wanted to share it with you that simply says Pastor Robinson I want to thank you and Eastside Church of God for blessing our family in such a special way with the use of our temporary home on Coventry Lane. In a time when we needed healing from the brain aneurysm and the loss of a dad and a husband, that home brought healing for us. I will never forget this display of love and kindness and will continue telling of this kind demonstration of Christ's love. Friends, you're a part of a body of believers that takes opportunities to help those who are in transition and our missionaries from literally three different continents, um, seven different families. And when they stay in our guest houses, there is no charge to them. Well, they have to pay for their own Wi-Fi. That's the only thing they have to pay for because the city won't let us pay for the Wi-Fi. So I just want to let you guys know, this is when we talk about being four people, 
This isn't just rhetoric. This is kind of the stuff we do. And the other thing you'll notice is that five ministry families live in our Grace Haven condos. And across uh, Highway 32 to our north, there's the Crown Point um, resident, um, I guess you would call it senior adult community. Um, and there are 100 condominiums. I know because I drove through yesterday and counted 100 condominiums there uh, in Crown Point. And five of those tucked away in the midst of the other 95 are five that we own as a church. Uh, they were a gift to us and we utilize them for retired ministry personnel. Um, and, and God has used us in ways and we, we lease those at, uh, for the ministry personnel that are in them. We lease them at about one third of what the market value would be. It's a ministry we give to women and men who have served God and served the church throughout their entire life. And so we are grateful for the opportunity that when we're talking about being for you, it's not just rhetoric here at East Side. It's something we do. Would you pray with me? Hey God, thank you for the ways that you creatively speak into our lives, for the ways that you have used this congregation not just a long time ago, but this week, this month, today, to make a difference in the lives of people. And so this morning, as we look into your word, we pray that, that you would open our hearts and you would open our spirits and that you would help us to really hear from you and to know that you are for us, not against us. For it's in the strong name of Jesus Christ that we pray, amen. So there's a problem we have culturally with language. Um, words mean one thing to one generation, and they get a new meaning to another generation. For instance, when I was a little kid growing up, if something was bad, it was bad. And then it became, it became bad meant good. And some of you are looking at me going, yeah, pastor, we, we've never heard bad being bad. Well, yeah, it's just, you know, got to, here's another one. I got in trouble for this one. And I'm, I'm about to, when I do this one, those of you who are, mm, been in church your whole life, you're going to miss this one all the way. Just going to let you know. Some of you are going to get this really fast, okay? But, you know, in my generation, if you talked about something, you know, a group of people, they're a cluster. They're a cluster of people. If you say cluster to a group of high school or college students right now, you guys know there's another whole meaning to the term cluster. It actually means something that is blown up. It means something that's messed up. You put cluster with another word and you hear it. What happened? Somebody somewhere added something to a word. They added a definition to that word. Now, some of you are going to pull out your phones and start Googling right now to find out what I'm talking about. Please don't until after lunch, okay? Some of you are going, he just talked about that in church. I'm just telling you, meanings change. And there's a passage of Scripture in the New Testament that uses a word. In fact, there are multiple passage of scriptures that use a word, and this word has had meaning added to it. The, the, the word is included in a, in a whole statement 
that has had meaning added to it. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to unpack those, that statement and that word in particular and try to get back at the meaning of what Jesus said when he talked about that word, when he made this statement. Because you see, last week we, we entered into this For You series, understanding that we're going to look at the Sermon on the Mount for the next few weeks, not as a group of regulations and not as a group of aspirations, but as a statement of declaration of who's included in the kingdom of heaven, who's included in the kingdom of God. And that's what Jesus was trying to say to the people gathered, the thousands of people gathered on the mountainside to hear him. And... And sometimes when you, you read that story, you think, why in the world did thousands of people gather to hear him? And, and they gathered because, because he was saying something that brought meaning to their life. And, and what I'm telling you is that the very first sermon Jesus preached set the precedent for the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, being for you. You ready? Here it is. Matthew records it in Matthew chapter four, verse 17. It's the first sermon Jesus ever preached. Look at it. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, when we hear those words in the 21st century, repent, that's, that's the word I'm talking about. It's a word that has meaning added to it. You see, in, in the Koine Greek in which the New Testament was written, there were two different words for repent. And one of them, one of them is the one that you normally think of. To repent is like to have remorse, to be, to be sorry, to, to be repentant, to have penitence. Years ago, I was um, involved in a project here at the church where we were making a conversion of the air conditioning and heating system here in the sanctuary. Uh, we were going through a, a conversion from an air-to-air unit to a, to a boiler-driven unit for heat in the winter. And uh, the, the company that was installing it, um, the, the gentleman who, who owned the company was a member of our church. He's since gone to be with the Lord. But as he and I were walking through and he's describing to me what they're going to do, I. He said, now we're going to put this huge pipe right here. Now this huge pipe was like right out there where most of you walked in this morning when you come in from the north side. He said, well, tuck it behind this beam. And when we tuck this pipe behind this beam, nobody will see it. I looked at him and said, but no, they will see it when they're leaving. I mean, come on. If when they're coming in, they're going to miss it. Yeah, I see it. A big beam, it'll hide it. But when they're leaving, they're going to see it. And I don't want that big, ugly pipe. He said, Pastor, we'll spray paint it brown. They'll, they'll never know. I said, but it's ugly. I don't want it up there. He said, Pastor, they're never going to see it. I said, what do you mean they're never going to see it? He said, because after you preach, they're going to have so much guilt and shame for what they've been doing in their life that they're going to walk out with their heads down. And they're never going to look up and see it. And I thought, ah, I've got to start preaching a different way. You see, when we, when we use the word repent, that's what most of us think about. I've told some of you before, 
Years ago, I, I got really frustrated living in North Georgia and Southeast Tennessee when someone took it on themselves to, on bypasses, spray paint the words, accept Jesus, turn or burn. It just infuriated me because that's not what Jesus meant when he said repent. Yes, there, there is a Greek word that carries that with it. And yes, there are some places in the New Testament where repentance does mean to have a turn of heart. It means to have some remorse. It means to be penitent. But it's never about shame and guilt. It, 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 it's, it's about emotion, yeah. But here's the secret. That's not the word Jesus used in his first sermon. No, there's, a, there's another Greek word. They're connected. But the word Jesus used, here's what it really means. Change your mind. It means change your mind. So what Jesus said in his first sermon was, change your mind. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, why would he say that? Because the people in his generation, the people in his world, had an idea about the kingdom of heaven that, that it was coming, but it wasn't here yet. And their idea about the kingdom of heaven when it came is that it would be some political power play where a Messiah would become king of Israel and the king of Israel would overthrow the Roman emperor. I mean, that's what they were praying for. That's what they were looking for. And, and what Jesus comes out saying to them is, no, no, listen, change your mind because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's near. See, repentance changes our minds about how we look at the world, about how we look at each other, how we look at God. After Jesus preached this sermon, he was walking through by the sea one day when he saw some guys fishing. You, you can read this in, in Matthew 14, 18, and 19, and 20, 21, 22. He sees these guys fishing. A guy named Peter and his brother. And as they're fishing, Jesus comes by. Remember, he's been telling everybody, change your mind, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he says, hey, you guys come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And then he sees two brothers, James and John. He says to them, hey, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. What he's saying to them, what he's saying to you and me is this, listen, I'm for you, I'm not against you, but I need you to change your mind about what you expect from me. I need you to change your worldview. I need you to change your paradigm. I need you to change it from one that is all about you to one that's all about me. And from one that's asking me to do things in your life to one that says, I wanna be where you are. I wanna do what you're doing, Jesus. I, I wanna follow you. And you're gonna take me to bigger things than I've ever dreamed possible. And I'm not doing this so I'll get the bigger things. I'm doing this so I can do this and be with you. Because when Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he was radically different. Change your mind. That's what he's really saying. Change your mind 
so you can come follow me. Because kingdom life is a life of intimacy and interaction with God. I've been struggling with, with how to communicate this to you guys. I, I told the nine o'clock hour a story I'm not gonna tell you because I thought about it after the service and went, yeah, that wasn't a very good story. But instead, I, 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 wanna, I wanna demonstrate something to you. I, I, I learned this many years ago from a, an author and speaker named Brennan Manning. Wrote a book called The Ragamuffin Gospel. In it, Brennan, who's a recovering alcoholic, talks about how he learned to talk to Jesus. Because you see, when we start talking about a life of intimacy and interaction with God, a lot of us don't have a clue. I mean, how do we interact with God? I still remember a guy, I, I worked at uh, Mississippi for four years. I worked with Mississippi's uh, American Legion Boys State. I was the chaplain. And as the chaplain, um, it, it was my job to do devotions, to introduce speakers, and to pray for guys. And there was a particular guy, he was a law student at Ole Miss, and he was the, uh, basically the disciplinarian. He would always take me with him on, on the walks we would do to make sure that the several hundred high school students we were overseeing were locked in their rooms properly. And as we're walking one night, he, uh, in fact, it was the last night of the week, the night when the guys usually tried to break out of their rooms and everything. We're walking and talking, and all of a sudden he looks at me and goes, Carrie, you're kind of different for a guy that's going to be a preacher. I said, okay, what do you mean? He said, well, said, uh, I mean, I can talk to you. He said, all these other guys, they're, they're like trying to get me to repeat some four spiritual laws. I don't even know what they are. And he said, but, but, but you just, you care about me and about these guys. I said, well, yeah, I, I, I try to. And, 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 I, and I, he looked at me and said, you know, I pray a lot. I said, you do? He said, yeah. He said, every time up at Ole Miss, when I get in a bender, when I go out and I get so drunk, I can barely stumble back into my room, I pray just before I pass out. I said, you do? I said, what do you pray? He said, I pray, God help me, I'm screwed up. I looked at him and said, that's a pretty good prayer, man. Because you are. <laughs> Just want to let you know. I love you, man, but, but you're kind of messed up, you know? And, and, and so in that in that kind of learning to talk to God. That's the way a lot of us talk to him. We come at him with our agenda. We, we tell him what we want or we cry out to him in our despair. Hey, God, we're messed up. But when I, I, I heard Brennan Manning talk about how he learned to talk to God, I found it really interesting because you see, Brennan Manning was a Catholic priest who became addicted to alcohol and eventually left the Catholic priesthood. Not because of his alcoholism, but because he fell in love with Jesus in such a way that he, he felt like he needed to express that love in some other ways. Then the priesthood would allow him to do it. And if you read his material, some of you already know what I'm about to do. 
Because Brennan talks about being in a recovery situation where a chaplain came and talked to him. He says, I, here I am, I'm a priest, man. I've got all the theological training. I've got all of this, and this guy's gonna talk to me about talking to God. He, he said, the guy just looked at him and said, Brennan, how long has it been since you just talked to God like he was your friend? And he told a group of, of students as we were gathered there, you know what, I, uh, I really, really had never done that. Well, I'd talk to God as if he was God, our Father. You know? He said, I'd, I'd talk to God through the prayers of the saints, but to just talk to God as if he was my friend. He said, the little hospital chaplain just said, well, Brenna, I really think you ought to try that. I want you to just imagine that, that God is sitting right next to you in this empty chair. And you talk to him the same way you talk to a friend. See, when Jesus saw Peter and James and John, Peter's brother, and said, hey, listen, come follow me. I want you to have a change of heart. I want you to have a change of mind. I want you to leave behind what you've been doing and come follow me. He was inviting them into a place where they could sit and talk. I mean, for three years, he was their rabbi. For three years, they walked in the dust, his feet kicked up. For three years, he, he, he was the one that they ate with. He was the one that, that they all shared common experiences. They, they, they lived life together. He was saying, hey, listen, guys, come follow me. Come interact with me. You see, before the world will believe that you are for them, they've got to know that you're with them. You didn't just parachute in to conquer them. You literally love them. And what Brennan Manning helped me understand is that my prayer life has to become a place where, where Jesus is so close to me that it's as if he's sitting in a chair just next to me. And I don't need all the forms and rituals and positions and, and do all, no, no, I'm, I'm talking to Jesus. Because he is my friend and my savior. Uh, some years ago, one of my mentors, uh, Maurice Berquist, was holding a, a, a revival meeting for me in Tennessee. And um, <laughs> we, Burke and I had so much that we loved to talk about. In fact, um, I, I, his wife accuses me of contributing to his heart attack and stroke that killed him. Because we would go get a 24-pack after, after a church service, a revival service. On the way home, there was a, a restaurant. Um, if you're from the south, you'll know this restaurant. It's called Crystal. If you're from up here, it's, it's basically a white castle. Only better. Much better. And Burke, Burke and I would get a 24-pack of those and take it home and Becky would put our boys to bed and Burke and I would sit up half the night eating crystals and talking. So maybe I did contribute to his stroke and heart attack. I don't know. But I, but I will never forget, he and I were 
together and he was doing this speaking and, and he spoke at our church on a Sunday morning. And in those days we had Sunday night church and he was supposed to preach again Sunday night. And he and I got to talking about all kinds of stuff and suddenly he looked up and goes, hey, Kerry, church starts in 15 minutes. I'm like, oh man, we gotta get over to the church. And so I hear him, this is 15 minutes before church. Becky's already there, the choir's already rehearsing, people are ready, and, and I hear Bert, I hear an electric razor kick on. He's like, I got a little bit of stuff off my face. And then all of a sudden, I walk past the bathroom where he's in there with the door shut, shaving, and I hear this. Well, God, church starts in 10 minutes. What do you want me to say to these people? I brought this man down. I publicized this man. We got a check waiting on this man. He's got nothing to say. And I hear him going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, okay. At this point, I'm like, I'm stopped outside the door. I want to hear what God's saying too. But I'm not hearing anything except an electric razor and Burke. Finally, he finished. We go running in. The first song's already started. We go in. He gets up and blows the doors off that place. I mean, the Holy Spirit was so powerful. I mean, people are coming to the altar. People I've been praying for for weeks, people I've been preaching at for years are now walking the aisle and saying, I'm gonna live for Jesus. And I'm standing there going, he got that in the bathroom <laughs> while he was shaving. And afterwards, I bought some more crystals and I said, talk to me about this, man. And it was the same principle to Brendan Manning. Hey, Carrie, God's not a long way away. God's right here with you. See, kingdom life, the kingdom of heaven that is near, it's a life of intimacy and interaction with God. And after Jesus had invited those four disciples into that relationship, he goes around, all around, talking in the synagogues. Look at it, we've, we've got it for you on the screens. It's in Matthew chapter four, verse 23. And he went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all the sick and those afflicted with various diseases and pains and those oppressed by demons and epileptics and, and paralytics and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and even from beyond the Jordan. You see, repentance changes our mind. And the kingdom invites us into a life of intimacy and interaction. But the kingdom also, it, it brings healing to every aspect of our life. That's why thousands of people gathered on the mountainside to hear Jesus teach. It didn't take a social marketing campaign. It didn't take a word of mouth route. No, no, it was just, he healed this person, he healed this person, he changed their life, and suddenly they began to respond to say, 
maybe God is different than we think God is. Maybe this Jesus is actually for us. He's not sitting in heaven waiting to judge us. Do you think perhaps, maybe, the place you live, the neighborhood, the dormitory, the the apartment complex where you live might be different if people thought that the reason you went to church is because God is for you, not because God was going to send you to hell if you didn't go? Do you think maybe, maybe in the Western culture, the culture might be a little different If people understood that when you meet Jesus, it changes your mind and changes your perspective instead of aligning you with a political party, whichever one it is, do you think maybe that that maybe the world might be a little bit different place if we begin to say to God, hey God, thanks for sending Jesus. Yeah, I'm kind of screwed up right now. I really need your help. Or, hey, God, thanks, man. Today, you, you really helped me. You helped me get through some stuff I, I didn't think I could get through. Hey, God, man, it's been a great day. Thank you for blessing my life. Thank you for the joy that you brought me today. Jesus, thank you for being my friend. Yes, you're my savior. Yes, you're the Lord of my life. But in the middle of a pandemic, Jesus, I just need a friend. Thank you for being my friend. You see, kingdom life brings healing to every aspect of our life. And then that healing, that healing in us changes the lives of people around us. When I was a kid, my, uh, my father was a Church of God pastor who desperately wanted all of his sons to attend Church of God colleges. It had taken him 15 years to graduate from college, and he didn't want that for us. He wanted us to, to, to finish well, accomplish our dreams. And because, because I'd been a fairly successful athlete, he began my freshman year of high school and my, well, actually even in middle school. He began bringing home, every time he came to Anderson for a meeting, he would bring home a program from the football team or the basketball team or, or some newspaper clipping about the sports program at Anderson College. In those days, Anderson College was the only Church of God college with a full-blown athletic department. And he just wanted to make sure that I would, that I would come here to go to school. And along the way, he brought me these pictures and these programs and these clippings. And I would read about a football team that that won four consecutive conference titles and were national runners-up in the national playoffs for what was referred to as the NAI. And, and, And I remember looking at their pictures and, and thinking, I just want to be as good as that guy. Or I want to I play like that guy. There was a running back they had. That's what the position I played in high school and middle school. I, I wanted to be like him. His name was Bill. And when I, by the grace of God, came to Anderson College after high school, it was several years after that team had 
had won that national or runners-up in that national tournament. And some of those same players whose names I'd read were now assistant coaches. In fact, the assistant coach on that team was now my head coach. I tell you that because on Tuesday night of this week, I got a phone call from a man who had been the athletic trainer for those, those teams while he was a student, who later on founded the athletic training department, kinesiology department at Anderson College, now university. His name is Steve Reisinger. We call him Doc. And Doc called me, hey, Kerry, did you ever meet Bill? And he called his full name. I said, uh, yeah, a time or two. But man, I, 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 he was my hero when I was in like middle school. What, what, what's up? Why, why are you asking? He said, well, you may not know it, but, but a bunch of us lost track of Bill after he left Anderson. And I just got a phone call today. Bill's had dementia for over a decade, Alzheimer's, took his, took his mind. He's been hospitalized, in and out of VA hospitals, and even though his former teammates tried to find him, nobody could find him, and he said, somehow they, they got hold of me, because at this point in time, no one knew how to get in touch with his family, and he died this weekend. Kerry, I don't know how much you know about Bill, but but they, I'm just wondering, would you be willing to preach his graveside service Friday? I'm like, yeah. Have the, have the court-appointed guardian give me a call and talk to me about the last decade of his life. And so the lady called, and she said, I'm so glad to get to talk to you because we've been trying to find people who knew him. And we finally found out about Steve, and so we had him, we reached out to him, and he says, you'll do this, sir? I said, sure, I'd be honored to do it. And so on Friday morning in Maplewood Cemetery, as cold as it was, with a tent, I gathered with a group of other people. And you see, after he graduated from the university, Bill had started a ministry where people would ride their bicycles all the way across the country. He kind of believed in that saying, some of you have who've been on missionary trips with us, that every time God wants to teach you a lesson, he takes you on a trip. And many of my friends had actually, when I was in college, gone on that trip with Bill. And so we gathered in the bitter cold of a January morning. And people who had been trying to get in touch, find Bill, teammates, friends, they gathered around. They're like, we lost track of him. We couldn't find him because he was in and out of the VA system. But now, as one of them said, we know where he is and we know how he is. He's with Jesus and he is fine. And as we had that little memorial service with people who had ridden across the country with him, with teammates who had played ball with him, with those who were honoring his military service because you see, before he came to Anderson, he came to Anderson as a 22-year-old freshman because he spent four years in Vietnam. And then he played ball here and graduated. And they, were, they began, after I read some scripture, to, to begin to, to share stories about Bill, things they'd done, ways he'd impacted their life. When suddenly a man from the back row, a man, I, I don't know, we were all, I mean, bundled up. It was cold and masked up because of COVID. 
And this guy from the back row, after several people had shared stories and memories, he raised his hand and he said, hey, uh, Reverend, can I say something? I said, yes, sir. He said, I, I just want to say to you that God gives all of us a chance to live a life. And if we do it well, it will impact others. And Bill wasn't perfect, but I want to let you know right now, Bill, because God changed Bill's life, God could change my life. And I'm a better man because of what God did in Bill. God has done in me. Service was over because truth had been proclaimed. And this morning, that's really what I'm asking you to do is to understand that the power of Jesus, the message of Jesus, that he is for you and he always will be is a message that invites you to an, an intimacy, an interaction, a healing, and that healing in you will be used by God to heal those around you. I invite you to be that kind of person for the kingdom of heaven is near. So change your mind and live with Jesus.